Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a high school student is found with tuberculosis. Find out if health officials think other students could be at risk. Then, political candidates react to reports linking them with controversial blackface yearbook photos. And after a Mississippi StoryCorps, just what is 16th section land, and how could a lawsuit about it put more money into Mississippi schools? That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi State Department of Health will test about 200 students and faculty for tuberculosis infection at Provine High School in Jackson. The health department has confirmed an active case in a student there. The revelation is causing a stir in the community, with parents and other residents worried about the spread of the disease. But at a press conference, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says the infection isn't all that rare. TB cases um, occur throughout all of Mississippi. We had 53 cases in 2000. And, uh, and 17, and, and we'll have more this year, and they happen in all counties and all communities, so there's nothing unique about tuberculosis happening in a community. There is no risk to the public, and it's important to know that there is no risk to the general public. Um, we are conducting an investigation and have identified individuals who may be at risk of being in contact with the person with tuberculosis. Dobbs is careful to establish the difference between tuberculosis infection and the full-blown tuberculosis disease. If someone is in contact with somebody with tuberculosis, they can get what we call tuberculosis infection. Tuberculosis infection does not make people sick. It does not make them contagious. But if we identify these individuals through blood testing, we can offer them medications to kill any dormant germs that might be in their system, and then they wouldn't go on to become ill and then contagious in the whole, the whole cycle right there. Tuberculosis is something that's not extremely contagious in the sense that you really need to be in really close proximity to someone for prolonged periods of time to be at high risk of contracting tuberculosis. But we want to be very cautious. And so anyone who's had any significant exposure to this individual will be tested to make sure that they have not been exposed and infected. And then if they had, of course, we can treat them and then everything you know, will be all right. Dr. Dobbs says the student in question was removed from school immediately when the student's symptoms were discovered. The symptoms were initially identified back in December 
but the identification of disease really hasn't occurred until much till later. It takes a little while to figure out in culture and identify tuberculosis. And so when we found that that was the case or there was concern, then the individual was, um, was, was removed from school so there would not be any ongoing risk. The state health officer explains why the disease does not spread easily. Uh, if you get exposed, you will have dormant germs in your body. And even if you're exposed, only about 1 in 10 people in their entire lifetime will go on to get active disease. Now, it's typically something that takes quite a bit of time. It usually takes months, usually years or even decades to go from the dormant stage to the active stage. So this is a scenario where we can operate with sort of clear, steady precision to make sure we identify everyone who might be at risk and go ahead and kind of get them into treatment so we can make sure that they don't get sick. Dobbs shared some advice for people who want to take precautions against the infection. Other than knowing if you're at risk, you know, certainly if you work in a healthcare setting, you know, make sure that you're conscientious about, you know, um, following the infection control procedures that are there, getting your annual testing or more frequently as, as advised by your employer. But for general people in the community, there's nothing specifically that you should do to be concerned or worried to prevent it. But if, in fact, that you're just unfortunate and that you happen to be potentially exposed, just, you know, comply with, with, with our assistance so that we can kind of help get this figured out for you. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs, the symptoms of tuberculosis can include coughing that lasts more than three weeks, coughing up blood, fatigue, fever, and chills. In this particular case, the health department says there is not widespread danger. Students should not be pulled out of school. Members of the community do not need to alter their normal daily routine in any way. There will be a meeting held for parents this Thursday at Provine High School. In other news, Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood is reacting to reports indirectly connecting him to racist yearbook photos. The volume from Hood's college day Days includes multiple photos from his fraternity showing members in blackface. Hood condemns the use of the blackface trope. At a press luncheon yesterday, he tells our Desiree Frazier the photos were not him. Oh, absolutely. Well, that was not me, and I don't, I don't think they, they – it was, it was on the clearing ledger, and I don't think they, they put a question mark. But still, um, I don't know if the, – the, I'm not sure what the, the, the people had on in the picture, and, and – uh, whether they were, um, uh, you know, there was some island party that one of those fraternities had up there, and I thought that's kind of what it was, in my opinion. Nevertheless, it is inappropriate, and uh, I don't, uh, I don't know if I was still in the fraternity when that, when that was done or not. I know, I know it wasn't me, and I know I don't think I was there. And then you were also asked if you ever dressed up in a KKK um, uniform, outfit, whatever, and if you were the member of the Sons of Confederacy or involved in that organization spoke to them? No, I've, I've never remember spoken to, to them. And, no, and the answer was no, I've, I've never dressed up in any of that, that type of garb. Attorney General Jim Hood is a candidate for the Democratic nomination for governor later this year. On the Republican side of the race, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves is running for his party's nomination. Similar photos surfaced from his fraternity days. Reeves also points out he is not in the racist photos. In a statement last week, his office says one of the fraternity's annual gatherings is, quote, traditionally called Old South in honor of the Civil War veterans who founded the fraternity in the 1800s. Coming up, just what is 16th section land and how could a lawsuit about it put more money into Mississippi schools? We'll find out after a Mississippi StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Valentine's Day is coming up on Thursday. Will you be buying any gifts? On Money Talks, we'll discuss what sweethearts aren't buying for each other and who isn't celebrating the holiday as much as they used to. Your personal finance questions are always welcome by email at money at mpbonline.org or by phone today at 10 a.m. on Money Talks, on MPB Think Radio, or on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. There are all kinds of cemeteries nowadays. In many cities, you'll find various more or less public cemeteries, church cemeteries, private family plots, Maybe there's a Jewish cemetery or a Catholic cemetery, not to mention various mausoleums, columbaria, crematoriums, and more. But in 1921, in Jackson, there was just the cemetery, Greenwood Cemetery to be precise. In this stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour, Bill and Cecile Wardlaw talk about that cemetery and its long, rich history. So from the very beginning, when people first started coming to Jackson, if they died, they were buried here because it was a really hard place to get to. There were no roads. The river, which was navigable only part of the year. So the pioneers who came to build a town here are buried in Greenwood Cemetery. Unfortunately, we don't know the names of most of them. A few of them we know the names, but we don't know where their graves are, because if they had any marker, it was probably a wooden marker, because there's no natural stone here. So those have disappeared through the years, and any written records that existed burned during the Civil War. The earliest written records we have are from 1870, and then we have more gaps because there was another fire at the city offices. So there are lots of people. We've done ground-penetrating radar and know that there are at least 330 unmarked graves just in the oldest part of the cemetery. And we know that there are other unmarked graves because families have started to bury people and have found that somebody's already buried in that spot, and frequently the family doesn't know who it is. You might want to mention, too, that since everybody who died here was buried there, unfortunately, with Mississippi's segregationist past, lots and lots of people would say, quote, all-white cemetery, which is not true. That is not true, and that's one of the things we've worked really, really hard to overcome and publicize. As Bill said, anybody who came here and died here was buried here. And even before the Civil War, the um, the slaves would have been buried there, but they would not have had any markers because they were slaves. The oldest monument was Governor Scott, who died of cholera in 1833. Everybody left town when the cholera epidemic started, but he said, no, the people of the state have elected me to be governor, and I'm going to stay here and serve the people. And so he worked at his office until 6 o'clock, and he was dead by midnight. The oldest black monument we have found is from 1865. We have matched the name tentatively with the name of a black slave who would have just been freed We did a survey of all the African-American monuments that we could find in the cemetery, and we found 90 monuments, which is just a small percentage of the African-Americans who are buried there, but there are 90 monuments. The story of Jackson is at Greenwood Cemetery. The stories that are, are there 
are the stories of the beginning of town. And people today have no idea that Jackson started out just as a place in the woods. It's a story that that people don't really understand in the fact that it is black and white and Confederate and Union and rich and poor and everybody and there's no there were no sections. There was no put oh put them put the poor people over here in this corner. Everybody just got buried. I mean the first six acres were not even platted. Um, there was no way to put a straight road through 20 years later because people had just been buried haphazardly. So it was really a place where everybody came on equal ground and appreciated it for what it was. And if this is not done, recording this history now and reaching out to anyone who has any information, a 100 years from now people might have looked back and said, well, what? I don't understand this. And there would have been no real record to go to. I'm a big fan of the great courses. History is my big thing. And you hear so many times in listening to the courses, well, we don't know about this or we don't know about that. Such and such was destroyed or we just, people just didn't tell about this. And so you go back and you can't piece together history. So it's like what you're doing with these recordings, you know, hopefully. Somebody who's interested in the future can look back and make sense out of what really went on. Actually get the truth of it, too. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Tune to MPB Think Radio and MPB TV Friday at 8 p.m. for highlights of the 2019 Governor's Arts Awards. Presented annually by the Mississippi Arts Commission, the awards recognize creative Mississippians who've made significant and lasting contributions to the arts in Mississippi. Highlights from the ceremony held in the Old Capitol Museum in downtown Jackson Friday at 8 p.m. on MPB Think Radio and MPB Television. For moments in black history, we recognize Flonzie Brown Wright. Flonzie Brown Wright was one of many Mississippians who helped pioneer the civil rights movement in the South and was the first African-American female to hold public office in the state since Reconstruction as election commissioner in Madison. Flonzie Brown Wright, pioneer, visionary, and steel magnolia. This has been MPB Moments in Black History. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In what a Mississippi official calls a historic move, the state is suing the federal government for more than $25 million over flooding. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman says a dam structure designed in the 1950s to change the course of the Mississippi River to protect Louisiana towns has ruined land in southwest Mississippi. Hoseman says his office is responsible for some of the property, which is on 16 
15th section land. That's land set aside to benefit public education, as Hoseman explains to MPB's Desiree Frazier. Yeah, 16th section land. In every um, county in Mississippi, there it was done by townships, and that started over in Georgia and whatever. And when we got our, our state in 1817, there was a township with 36 sections. A section is one mile square. And so they didn't use a metric system, one mile square. So the 16th section is right in the middle of that township. And, and Thomas Jefferson said, we need to save that for education. Now, you see this like in Mississippi, like on Germantown. And Madison is built on 16th section land right there. So we've used it for the schools and then we've produced revenue. And then during my term, I have raised $1 billion for public education from 16th section land. A couple of years ago, I realized that we weren't able to cut the timber in Wilkinson County and Adams County. And so we went down there. We sent our foresters down there. It's flooding, continuing flooding, and silt has built up knee-high down there. So we can't get our timber out, and if we did cut timber, we'd only have a willow patch left. So we started looking, and I testified before the Mississippi River Commission on two different occasions. We contacted them. We, they did studies for us, and Senator Worker and, and Congressman Harper at the time. And all of those studies indicated that the, uh, the, really the base of the river had silted into the, to the level that Mississippi was going to continue to be flooded, and we are flooded today. And so the structure that they created to prevent flooding in Louisiana has flooded Mississippi. Right. Mississippi south of Natchez has no levees. All the levees are on the other side of the river. So it basically opened uh, the Lake Mary, Fort Adams, uh, all of Wilkerson County and Adams County. Uh, open them up to flooding to the hills, and it floods to the hills. And so, bottom line, what is the issue at this point? Um, you said Louisiana was paid for money that yeah, was... When they, when they built these, these structures to allow overflow of floodwaters to go there, they they paid Louisiana citizens for, for an easement, a flood easement. <clears throat> they never paid Mississippi for an easement, for a flood easement. So we are... Um, we believe that we should be paid because the river now has, is flooding us all the time. There's an Arkansas case and a Missouri case that are similar to ours that have been are in the process of being decided, I think, for the landowners. And we are a landowner. We're an 8,000-acre landowner. Our, our goal is to get compensation for school kids. That's where we're going. And the money that you get, you'll give to the school districts that are in the lawsuit or even more? All of the funds collected would go to the school districts in the lawsuit, plus the northern 22 counties didn't keep their 16th section land because we got that from the Chickasaws in 1830. So they sold all their 16th section land. We have an agreement where we pay them a proportion of what we earn in the southern 60 counties. And that last year was about between 20 and $25 million goes to DeSoto, uh, Tupelo, Corinth, uh, Oxford, they all get a check from the state of Mississippi. So it will be a positive impact not only on these three districts, but also on 22 counties in North Mississippi. And it comes from timber production? It does come from timber production and the loss of the land and the loss of the ability to harvest timber and replant bottomland hardwood timber there. What do you think? Do you think that the government is going to argue against paying Mississippi $25 million? Uh, I, I assume they will, but I don't know that. I would I would hope they just agree that they owe us some money and send us a check, but I don't know that's going to occur. I um, uh, I do know that the other two cases in Arkansas and Missouri cases were decided favorably for the landowners. So I'm anticipating this one will be decided favorably, and we'll we will go through the process of putting on proof and economic damages and 
uh, will be at the Court of Claims. These cases are filed in the Court of Claims in uh, Washington, D.C. And you said that that area remains flooded much of the, much of the time? Seventy percent of the time in the last ten years. And uh, it had flood water on it. And um, it's, it's obvious to me that the, the river de- deposits 150 million tons of silt a year. And uh, it's obvious to me um, that that is going to continue um, and they're going to continue to protect New Orleans as they should, and the river won't be allowed to change course to go to Morgan City, which is 150 miles to the ocean going to Morgan City and 300 miles going to New Orleans, and that's why it's changing. The Aftulaya River is 16 to 17 feet lower than the Mississippi River, so it's only a matter of time it would have gone that way. And stopping it was, was the proper thing to do, but what, what the issue is, of course, is, is they took our land. This is something that we worked on here at our office, the legal theories and whatnot. Then we brought the attorney general in, and his office uh, worked on all of the legal theories and, with us. And after a thorough review by both staffs, uh, the attorney general decided to hire an outside counsel to pursue the matter in Washington. And, and um, I, I think it's the appropriate decision. It's the right thing to do. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman. Attorney General Jim Hood is involved in managing the suit on behalf of Mississippi. At a press luncheon in Jackson, he tells our Desiree Frazier more about his involvement. In terms of the lawsuit that has been filed, can you explain from your perspective how that's moving forward, the one involving the 16th section land? We've had to, uh, unfortunately, sue the federal government uh, for taking lands, particularly the state's interest is of 16th section lands. Every 16th section was set aside. There are 36 sections in a township and range. Every 16th section was set aside for the benefit of our school children, and that is... um, uh, What's happened is the Corps of Engineers, uh, try, in, in an attempt to try to keep the river from moving uh, west, they they, uh, they they did a lot of different things down on the river that caused flooding in, in Mississippi, particularly our southwestern part of our state. And that's a kill timber and affected lease values uh, in the 16th section land. But there's a lot of people that own land there, too. And so there's going to be a, you know, a large number of, of lawsuits, I suppose, uh, against the Corps of Engineers to um, make them pay a flood easement or whatever for the damage that they've caused. Who's handling the case? Did Have you had to get outside counsel? Yeah, we, we, we hired, hired, an, hired an outside uh, a counsel group to come in and do it. They've got they've associated some lawyers in Washington that do a lot of takings litigation. There's, there's quite a bit of that against the federal government. The Rails to Trails Project, you know, there was litigation against the federal government because they, they took land that was supposed to revert back to the landowners when the railroads closed. Um, so that's not really out of the ordinary for this kind of litigation to occur. I'm, I'm anticipating a long, drawn-out process, though. What do you think it'll mean to schools if you win this? Well, it's millions of dollars that, that are owed back pay to the to the schools where they've um, been flooded, you know, cost of timber, you know, uh, inability to lease. Be at leases for hunting or farming or timber or whatever, oil and gas. You know, if they're flooded, it's hard to get in there and do anything with it. Would people who own property be able to... Yeah, we're not suing on their behalf on the on the individual private property owners, but some of these lawyers, I'm sure, will be representing some of those individual private uh, uh, property owners. Secretary of State uh, Attorney General Jim Hood, stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at nine o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at ten o'clock, it's In Legal Terms, and at eleven, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. 
Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. This is MBB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. For moments in black history, we recognize author Angie Thomas. Born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, near the home of slain civil rights activist Megger Evers, Thomas began to see the need for the voice of the younger generation to be heard. Her novel, The Hate You Give, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list, and she is set to release her second novel on the come up in 2019. Angie Thomas. 